Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. We're going to go right out to the Raider Nation listener line. Dave has been waiting patiently in Rochester. Dave, uh, uh, really appreciate you waiting uh, uh, for us to get out of that break. Uh, you want to talk about the Raiders. And being in Rochester, I would imagine that uh, you have a little bit of knowledge uh, of the of the safety from Syracuse that I've been talking about. Am I right or wrong? A little bit, Vinny. Yeah, hey, no problem on the way, buddy. I love the show. I follow you on Twitter. You do a great job, man. Um, I will say the knowledge I have from upstate, I live about an hour away from the Bills Stadium, so it's been kind of a paradoxical offseason for me because I sit here and watch all these uh, Bills Mafia hotheads over here, and the Raiders are sending <laughs> all the guys. Um, but, no, the dude from Syracuse is a pretty solid player, I think. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I, they're an hour to the east of us. I don't, I don't watch too much Cusa uh, football around here, but... Um, John Brown is an interesting signing. If the guy can stay healthy, I know, um, you know, from I never really heard anything negative said about him uh, in Upstate, but uh, I was going to shift gears a little bit on you, buddy, for uh, the draft. I wonder your thoughts uh, in terms of the late rounds, just maybe taking a couple flyers. I know watching the um, Raiders back in the early 2000s, still one of my favorite Raiders ever was Zach Crockett, and I know they always used to have, you know, at least here and there, like Philip Buchanan was a pretty decent return man. I know we had uh, Patterson a couple years ago. I'm wondering in the late rounds, do you think maybe they take a, a, a big back like Crockett was for short yardage? I know we had Jacobson, Ingold, and Kenyon, but, you know, maybe if there's like a, a you know, quote the Bills, they kind of have Zach Moss up here. Uh, and then if you think that there's a guy that we can get as a specialist for the returns, because I love Jalen Richard, man. I just I don't know how confident I am with having him back on kickoff returns. And Renfro makes me nervous because I don't just want to see the kid get hurt. So, um, yeah, like I said, buddy, love the show. Just wondering your thoughts on those late-round type flyer guys. Thank you, Dave. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, no question about it. And, and where I'm really curious uh, in terms of the late rounds is, uh, and I know I keep you know mentioning this, but, but Gus Bradley and his staff, uh, it's a new, um, fresh look at defense, um, you know, and new fresh voices to articulate those needs defensively uh, and a new set of eyes defensively. And so, um, you know, nothing against Paul Gunther and and his vision and and the coaches that he had uh, here with them uh, under under on his staff, but I think we're going to see something different, and it, it it's bound to be since it's just different human beings and different philosophies and different visions and different skill sets and, and you know, uh, uh, different schemes. So um, I'm really curious what kind of an impact a guy like Gus Bradley is going to have, specifically on that uh, defensive side of the ball. And I know some of the positions that you mentioned uh, offensively. I think the Raiders offensively, um, you know, uh, obviously they're going to have to address uh, right tackle somewhere along the line in the draft probably early. Uh, but I also think – this being a very good draft, not just for tackles, but for interior linemen. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they double down on the offensive line uh, at some point, whether you're talking about uh, another tackle or uh, potentially uh, you know, a guard type. Uh, Richie Incognito is getting up there in age. Um, you know, uh, I know John Simpson from Clemson uh, is going to be in the mix. Uh, you know, but he's right now a question mark. I think Denzel Good uh, is... is 
can play multiple different positions. You know, you wonder if he's just better suited, though, in a perfect world as that kind of super sub type of a player that could fill in at tackle or guard uh, as need be. So uh, this is really a deep draft, um, you know, for for the offensive line. So I do think that later on in the draft, early and late, uh, they're gonna they're gonna uh, go ahead and 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 you know address those positions. But really, for me, uh, Dave is is the impact that Gus Bradley is going to have uh, on the draft. And he's yeah. done such a good job throughout his career of, um, of, of, of uncovering talent in later, later on in the draft uh, that, you know, he's able to, he and his staff are able to develop or just see what other people aren't seeing. Uh, the Richard Sherman comes to mind. Uh, you know, a lot of the guys that they drafted up there in Seattle when he was there that turned out to be really good players that were drafted well beyond the first and second round. Um, so I'm curious to see if that effect, uh, is going to happen here with the Raiders. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. That's a great thing, Vinny. Uh, I'll let you go, but because I'm sure you got other callers, but yeah, I like to, I, I'll be honest with you, man. I'm a patient guy. And I've always said, like, you got to take your time and build this thing. If the teams are trying to do the shotgun thing and it burns out in a couple of years, I, I love the fact that the Raiders have, I think one of the most stable teams in the whole league right now. And I, I really believe that you have a top five stadium you got an owner who, who is very much staying out of the way, right? He, he pays the guys, and he's got a stable front office with Gruden and Mayock. And I love the fact that Gus is in there. And I think you made the point on one of, one of these shows earlier about it's not a guy that necessarily is looking to jump to a head coaching job right away. So you could have really stable, like, you know, Gruden basically runs the offense. You could have really stable coordinators for the next near future here. So to your point, letting these guys get the guys they want in there in the rounds I I, I got to tell you, man, I think the Raiders are, are really primed here for, for the next couple of years. I, at least that's the way I view it. And, uh, yeah, man, go Raiders, and I love the show, Vinny. Thanks for the time. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for the call. I really appreciate it. really appreciate the support. Um, yeah, look – uh, is it frustrating that it hasn't happened as quickly as as uh, as fans would hope? Um, yeah, there's no question about it. But um, triple your frustration, fans, and um, uh, that still doesn't equate the frustration that John Gruden uh, is feeling. Uh, you know that that he hasn't been able to get this thing over the hump yet. Uh, but but I've been saying this for a while now. Um, you know, the, the Raiders gave John Gruden a 10-year contract. It was for a reason. Uh, I know everyone always is going to turn to the money. It's hard to ignore the money. I get it. I understand it. It's hard to ignore uh, the money. But it wasn't just the money. It was the longevity of the contract. And it essentially told John Gruden, look, obviously we want to get this thing turned around as quickly as possible. That's the goal. I mean, why, you know, the, so there's always going to be that sense of urgency uh, to get it done ASAP. But there was also another signal that 10 years gives to the head coach, and I think that this is something important to keep in mind. Uh, it was also the message of, but we want to do it right, and we're putting our faith in you that you're going to get it right. Um, and even if it means having to strip it down and get it right the way it needs to be right, uh, we're willing to, 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 to uh, devote this time in you to get it right in the right kind of a way, in the way that uh, you know, puts the Raiders on track for longevity and um, you know, being able to compete year in and year out uh, for, for you know, the playoffs and be a viable, contending, relevant team year in and year out. And, and the way you do that 
is you have to build you know a found a foundation and you have to you have to have patience too. Uh, this was an extraordinarily young Raiders defense. Uh, it's easy to just sweep it all under the or out the door and say, "Well, that didn't work after a year or two because uh, you know these young players haven't all uh, collectively uh, played you know at the at the highest of levels." But but to me, that's short sighted. Uh, there's no way that you can sit here and say what kind of player you can't say that Damon Arnett. Um, just isn't a good player right now because there's there's there, there wasn't a long enough look at him last year, uh, and that's not any fault of his own. He got hurt, and injuries are a big part of this. And a, a, a wrist injury curtailed it; just impacted his entire season right from the get go. An injury that occurred in training camp to the same hand that he that that uh, he dealt with uh, at Ohio State. And it got the best of him uh, by by game three. Uh, it was just too much, and uh, he had to you know uh, <laughs> wave the white flag, uh, undergo surgery. It cost him six seven weeks, um, you know, and he and he still came back and played in the NFL as a rookie, trying to get out there uh, and 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 play. And we can't sit here. I mean, six weeks after uh, surgery, who's who's to say how healthy he really was or one hundred percent he really was? Hard for me to believe that you can jump up. After seven weeks, um, you know, of a uh, you know coming off a wrist surgery and then go play at the NFL, especially in any kind of a high level or anything like that. But they rolled him out there. Um, he tried to give it a go. There were some other injury uh, beyond that with the concussions. Um, so I'm giving that an incomplete. There's no way anybody can sit here uh, justifiably and say one way or another what kind of a player uh, uh, Damon Arnett is. You just it, it just. You weren't. He wasn't out on the field long enough for any determination uh, to be made, and he certainly wasn't on the field healthy enough for a determination to be made. So we'll see with a full off season uh, now back healthy, now being able to really get after it in the weight room and in conditioning, what kind of shape he's going to be in, what he's going to look like when he uh, gets here, uh, you know, in, in OTAs, um, and what kind of player he's going to be, and if he's healthy and he, the Raiders could get 16 or so games. Uh, out of him, I think by this time next year, we'll have a really clear understanding of what kind of future Damon Arnett has. Uh, but it's too pre- it's premature uh, to answer that question right now. And I think that a lot of the young players fall into that uh, category. So um, it's just you have to have patience. And uh, it didn't happen overnight. Um, there were a lot of reasons for that. Uh, there were a lot of factors that were playing against the Raiders and a lot of other young teams, for that matter. There's a reason why the offense was so much better than the defense uh, last year, and it wasn't just pure talent. It also was uh, circumstance and situation. That Raiders defense was way younger than the Raider offense. It just was, and I think that um, the experience level of the of the offense uh, was able to better deal with, you know, not having an off season. Not having OTAs, not having mini camp, uh, you know, a training camp that was unlike any training camp ever, a, a season that was unlike uh, any any other. So uh, it wasn't conducive for a young defense uh, last year. But you know what? Those excuses. There's no more excuses. Uh, presuming that you know, and they're going to talk about this tomorrow at the uh, owners' meeting, same when they you know when they vote on the uh, 17 game schedule. They're going to talk about what OTAs might look like this year or what this offseason uh, is going to look like this year. I'm really hoping for everybody's sake, including uh, young players across the NFL, 
that the NFL gets back to a more normal um, offseason where players are uh, able to come in um, for periods of time during the offseason, get in the classroom, get in the weight room, get on the field. Uh, to get prepared, you know, for for, uh, for for training camp. I just think it's vital. Is it vital for everybody? No, it's not vital for everybody. I always tell this. You know, Aaron Donald missed two straight off-seasons, two straight training camps, and was still the NFL Defensive Player of the Year, stepping foot in game one of a regular season without anything uh, going on behind him leading up to it, and was still the dominant player uh, that he is. That That's Aaron Donald. He's a Hall of Fame player. Right now, if you were to retire today, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. That's how good he is, how disruptive he is. And no, he doesn't really need OTAs. But that doesn't mean Max Crosby doesn't need OTAs uh, or Clee Farrell doesn't need OTAs or Damon Arnett doesn't need OTAs or Trayvon Mullen or Jonathan Abram or Amik Robertson or Tanner Muse or Corey Littleton or you know anybody else on that, Raiders, on that young Raiders defense. Um, and especially as a collective unit, I think the Raiders and a lot of other teams could stand uh, to benefit from having a regular offseason. So hopefully, um, I, you know, I think that if, if you were to ask NFL coaches, yeah, they want, <laughs> they want OTAs back. They're tired of doing meetings on, uh, on Zoom all the time. They want their players in the building. They want to be able to get an eye. That's, that's the other thing. You know, when you go to OTAs, um, you know, you're there for a period of time throughout the course of the day, right? It's not a full day like it is, you know, uh, in training camp. There are full days in mini camps. That's why mini camps are different than OTAs. In a mini camp, you're able to kind of replicate what a what a regular season practice schedule is or a training, uh, you know, camp uh, schedule is, and 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 so you're going to have your eyes on players for ten hours, eight hours, hour, whatever, however long you're allowed to have a mini camp day. Uh, in OTAs, there's still a little bit of a time limit, but you're still able to get a look at players. And there's something to be said about watching people, monitoring people, how they interact with their teammates, uh, how their what their work habits look like, not just on Zoom. I mean, you can you can do your Zoom thing and then say, okay, goodbye. You know, after after a couple hours or however long it is, and then and then go about the rest of your day and. Raiders have no idea. The Vikings have no idea what you're doing the rest of the de- rest of the day, uh, or if you're following through on whatever the uh, assignment for that day was. Uh, at least, in, you know, when you get players into the building, you have a better idea of what their work ethic is. And if it's not up to standard, that doesn't make the player a bad guy or a bad person. Sometimes they just need to be coached up, and that's the time in OTAs where hey, we need you to step it up here. <laughs> this is the NFL. Uh, this isn't college, you know. You're not playing in the Big Twelve anymore. This is the NFL. You're in the AFC West. That team over there in Kansas City, yeah, they're they've been to the Super Bowl uh, two straight years. We're trying to chase them down, and we need you to help us. And we need you to jack it up when you're in the meeting room. We need to jack you to jack it up uh, in the weight room. Uh, we we need you to 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 be better with your conditioning. Uh, we need you to be better when you're on the field, more attentive, uh, more engaged. Uh, you can't tell those things. Uh, when they're, you know, whether five miles away on Zoom or 500 miles away on Zoom, you just can't. It's it's impossible. And I think all of that was lost to the Raiders last year. And, you know, we keep talking about that young defense, uh, whether it was scheme and coaching, talent. There was obviously talent issues, inexperience, youth, uh, maybe some immaturity, uh, w- whatever the case was, uh, it really 
by not having that foundation or being able to create that foundation in February and maybe even coach some of the issues out of them during that time of year um, so that they were maybe better prepared for training camp and better prepared uh, to hit the season, um, you know, they didn't have that, that benefit, and it showed. And when you watch that Raiders defense last year, how many times were you looking at your, you know, where you're just scratching your head saying they, they look like they're not even on the same page right now, like cornerbacks and safeties that weren't on the same page. Uh, you know, cornerbacks uh, not coming up to, uh, to uh, on their run fits or linebackers in the wrong place. And, and you just wondered, like, what the heck is going on here? And I think a lot of it was just this was a very, very disconnected unit last year. It might not have been for a lack of trying or effort or anything like that. I'm not questioning that. I'm just questioning that I don't think a foundation was being was 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 able to be set. And I think there were cracks all throughout the year uh, as a result of that. Now we'll see. It's on players to be to just be better, uh, more professional in some cases, more diligent in some cases, more engaged. Uh, in some cases, but it's also going to be predicated on guys staying healthy, on guys being able to be in the building on a more continuous basis, allowing them uh, to to get the coaching that they need, to develop the chemistry that they need, to get on the same page with players. Here's another thing: um, you know, players watch players too, and uh, it's not just coaches that are scrutinizing uh, you know uh, players. Players police themselves. Uh, and and when you have veteran leadership that's seeing a young player, uh, you know maybe not doing the right thing or or, or you know being 100 uh, percent good to go, 24 uh, seven, they're gonna let them know about it. It doesn't always have to be in an angry kind of way. It's just pulling them aside, say, hey man, need you to step it up. You know, uh, you know. Uh, sometimes it's just staying after practice a little bit longer. Uh, with some veterans, um, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, working a little extra time. Again, you, you don't have that access uh, when you're on Zoom, uh, but you do have it, uh, you know, when, when guys are in the building together, uh, you're able to, to, to monitor that better, not just the coaches, but players themselves. I'm going to go out and under the Raider Nation listener line. Dylan wants to talk about the Raiders. How are you doing, Dylan? Good. How are you, Vinny? Doing really good. Thank you. Hey, I was just wondering, I know with last year's additions of uh, Corey Littleton and Nick Krakowski, and we also signed or re-signed Nick Morrow this year, does that, do you think, take the Raiders out of drafting a linebacker in the first round, or do you think we still could go linebacker? Um, I, I think it would, it lessens, it lessens it, obviously, uh, but man, if there's, if you know, if somebody that they just fell in love with and feel like they gotta have, uh, you know, Michael Parsons comes in mind, a guy like that, um, you know, it might be a situation where the talent just outweighs even the need, and you just want to get the best player available right there. So, um, I don't think anything's off the table uh, necessarily. The kid from uh, Notre Dame comes to mind as well. I don't think. I don't know if he's like a must, must have, uh, but uh, there's a lot of people who really think pretty highly of, of him. So, uh, and I'll get his name here in a second. Um, but possibly, Jeremiah, yes, Jeremiah. Uh, yes, exactly uh, from Notre Dame, and and you know he's kind of a playmaking. I really like the Nathan Collins from Tulsa. I like Nathan Collins. Uh, there, the, there's a. Uh, I'm getting to my uh, linebacker list here uh, in just a second, but. Um, uh, there's a uh, there's a kid from um, North Carolina, the former quarterback. Um, I'm scrolling through, yeah, and I don't want to miss it. Yeah, so so there are, I, but I don't know if necessarily, um, you know, those guys are are uh, 
have to have first round guys. Um, but but yeah, I mean, everything would be would be possible still at any position, really. Uh, what if Devonte Smith if felt? What's that? Just ask you one more thing. I was wondering. Since we signed Quentin Jefferson, we signed a bunch of people on the D line too. Do you think that would take us also out of like drafting Gregory Rousseau or one of the edge rushers? I no, not necessarily. Again, you know, and I know Miami is having. I think they're having their pro day today. Um, it's either today or tomorrow, and so you know, you've got Jalen Phillips and uh, Gregory Rousseau uh, from Miami, and both of those guys are pretty good. And, and Jalen Phillips, I mean, is a intriguing, intriguing, intriguing player. He's probably a top five talent, if we're being honest, right? Um, but he's dealt with concussions. I think two or three concussions that he's had, and it's something that you have to keep an eye on. Um, so is, is, is somebody like, um, you know, Jalen Phillips, if he's there, the talent is unquestioned. You know what I'm saying? Like the talent is unquestioned, and he would fit, uh, you know, a position of need. Now, granted, you got Cleve Farrell, you've got you know uh, Max Crosby, you got uh, Yannick Ngagwe, uh, but if you were able to get, a, if you were just so intrigued and so um, you know uh, sold uh, on a, on a guy like Phillips, who's art, who is, I would say, hands down, the best pure pass rusher in this draft. If it wasn't for the concussion issues, he'd be a top five player. So. Uh, if you want, if you feel comfortable that he's beyond, you know, the, uh, the 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 injuries and the concussions, can you imagine having now uh, Phillips and maybe you do kick Clee uh, uh, Farrell uh, inside in that scenario, uh, and then Yannick Ngakwe um, on the other end, uh, and Max Crosby still being, you know, uh, a factor in this. All of a sudden, that defensive line looks pretty good, and we all know that that defensive line is is super important. Um, for for uh, you know for for what Gus Bradley, but what about you? I mean, are you do you would you be averse to taking a a, a defensive end or a linebacker with seventeen? No, I think we definitely need to go defense. Probably, I get uh, Mayock or Gruden wanting to take a tackle probably in the first round, and we probably do need to take a tackle or even a guard maybe in the first three rounds. But I still think our weakest point is defense and I would love to maybe try to get Zavin Collins or try to get Trayvon Morig well either of those guys I love yeah and um you know uh I I, I like I like Morg uh, as well from TCU not sure he'd be there the Raiders go 14 or excuse me 17 then 48 um I'm not sure you know he would be there uh, at 48. I think I think Javon Holland will be there from Oregon, and I'm I'm really I think people are sleeping on Holland because he didn't play last year. You know, so the stage was uh, was out there for a bunch of other players to to really uh, operate and perform on, and you know uh, Holland uh, kind of out of sight, out of mind. But the kid can play flat out, can play. We just are kind of knocking him a little bit because he didn't play in 2020. Um, he's a first round talent. Based on 2019, and uh, and and I, I I wouldn't rule you know uh, him out whatsoever as well. But Mooring's really good. I just think that he's probably going to fall somewhere between that 17 pick and that 48th pick. So, uh, but hey, if he's if he is available, um, you know, at 48, I think the Raiders should jump all over that. I, and it goes. It's it's a good point. Um, you know, as far as that defense, there you, you named a bunch of guys, and and not all those guys are going to be in the first round. Some of those guys are going to be uh, in the second and, and 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 third round. I was just looking at my uh, defensive ends, uh, you know, and and there's some really good uh, uh, Rashad Weaver uh, from Pitt. Uh, 
you know, um, who's now projected to go, um, where is he, in the third round. Uh, A guy like Rashad Weaver, uh, who was a disruptive force um, in in uh, at Pittsburgh? He's a guy that you know uh, at that point in the draft. That's really really good uh, value um, at, at being able to bring somebody that could rush the passer uh, at that at that uh, at, at that position in the draft. He graded out this is Pro Football Focus graded out as an eighty nine point five overall defensive player, um, and that's pretty darn good. So um, he's a guy that you know. Um, would be able to, I think, have a. He might not be starting for you day one, uh, but I think he would work his way into the rotation uh, day one. And and again, you can't have too many guys that can rush the passer. So I like where this draft is headed. The more I look at it, the more I study it, and I'm kind of turning my attention to it. And I'm, I've been really knee deep in the draft these last couple of days. Uh, the more I'm liking it, and the more I'm liking the depth, and the more I'm liking uh, the fact that the Raiders there's some positions where they can really double dip and solidify themselves, whether it's safety, uh, offensive line, uh, and even along the defensive line again, and at linebacker. I'm gonna, when we get back, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about some of these linebackers that are catching uh, my eye and see if uh, Raider Nation agrees with me. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajor. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. It is a Monday, um, and uh, you know some some relatively big news in the NFL. I think we all saw it, saw it coming um, with the 17 game schedule, which is uh, happening uh, about ready to happen. They'll make it official in a vote tomorrow uh, at the league uh, owners meetings. Uh, it's interesting. I've been asked on on Twitter, well, how's that going to affect pay? Uh, and uh, it's actually kind of a pretty interesting situation. Um, obviously, 17 games, players get paid per game. Nobody gets paid in the preseason. Nobody gets paid in the playoffs. Everybody gets paid uh, during the season. So um, uh, I think it's like Wednesday or Tuesday. You get Wednesday, Thursday. One of, one of those days you get your check um, from the game. The week before, or maybe it's yeah, the week before his game. So um, <clears throat> normally, what you would do is, uh, and let's use Aaron Donald uh, for uh, an example. I'm going to call up what he makes uh, per year, um, but anyway, an Aaron Donald would um, divide his yearly salary by 16 games, and um, his 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 pay each week would rectify or or, or represents. Um, you know, uh, one seventeenth of his salary. So um, that's how that's how that works, right? So um, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get his salary here really quick. So you divide his salary um, yearly salary by I think it's twenty two point five million dollars. Okay, so you divide twenty two point five million dollars by sixteen games. All right, and whatever whatever that is, that's how he that's what he gets paid each check. Okay, <clears throat> so in Aaron Donald's case, and for anybody that signed. Their current contract, the contract that they're playing on right now, anyone who signed that contract prior to the new CBA being ratified last summer, when 
you know, so so anyone that signed their contract before the new collective bargaining agreement came about last summer. Uh, so if you sign your contract in 2019, um, this, uh, the summer of 2019, uh, then you get in a new 16 game schedule. Uh, you still get your, you know, in Aaron Donald's case, you divide his 22.5 by 16 games, right? And then whatever that total is, he gets an additional exact same amount for a 17th game. So he'll literally get paid for another 17th game uh, above and beyond, you know, his regular uh, his 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 regular uh, uh, salary, weekly salary. A player who signed their contract after the new uh, CBA was ratified. So your rookies from last year, any free agents this year, any free agents who signed their contract last March, uh, any of those players that signed their contracts after uh, uh, this new uh, CBA was ratified, it's just now their checks, now their salary will be divided by 17 games. So an Aaron Donald benefits, uh, he gets an extra, you know, one point, let's say $5 million dollars uh, this year for a 17th game, we'll get. Uh, whereas, you know, Yannick Ngakwe, uh, will, his $13 million will now be spread over 17 games rather than 16 games. And then the more, you know, we get past the players that signed their contracts prior to the new CBA uh, being ratified, their contracts uh, every year uh, will be spread out by, their salaries will be spread out by 17 games rather than 16 games. So you're lucky if you sign your contract prior to the new CBA, uh, uh, as is uh, Aaron Donald. Let's let's just let's just see what his uh, you know what he's looking to make. An Aaron Donald who makes 22.5 million dollars a year. 22.5 divided by 16 equals he makes 1.4 million dollars every week for 16 weeks. So he gets an additional. million check. Um, And by the way, uh, because the next question will always be, well, how does that affect the salary cap? Well, that 17th game for for the players that signed their contracts prior to to last uh, summer, uh, it doesn't count against the salary cap. All that was grandfathered in and their contracts uh, and their additional week's pay will not be um, affected by the 17th game. So there you go. Uh, but long story short, there will be a 17th game, most likely. Uh, I would be shocked if this wasn't voted on, and or excuse me, it will be voted on tomorrow morning. Um, I, I'd be shocked if it wasn't approved. Um, what do you guys think about that? Uh, do you do you do you think a 17th game is necessary? Um, uh, do you think it's overkill? Uh, do you think it's putting players, uh, you know, in in harm's way? Um, I have my own thoughts. Uh, I guess you know. At the end of the day, I'd rather have a, a game that uh, one more game that means something as opposed to one game that means nothing. Because uh, you know they'll add a seventeenth game, but they're going to most likely take away a preseason game. So rather than four preseason games, it'll be three preseason games. Uh, you ask, okay, well, when would the season start? Would it start a week earlier, or you know, how would that work if you're adding a seventeenth game to the schedule? Uh, it would actually start on time, uh, right after Labor Day, as it normally does. Uh, and then uh, you'll add one more week to the season, so everything will be moved back. The start of the playoffs will be moved back per week, uh, by a week. Uh, the Super Bowl next year um, will be, uh, I think it's February 13th. I think they've already designated it as fe- February 13th. Shocking that they already had the foresight to do that, as opposed to the first week of February. So they've already accounted for 
the Super Bowl being a week later this year um, because of a 17th game and how it pushes everything back a week. Now, here's here's where uh, this is where I'm thinking. I think that there's no question, uh, you know, football is just a battle of attrition, and you know, you're dealing with health all the time. You're dealing with injuries all the time. You talk to any average football player. There's no point in the season where they're 100%. And if anyone who says that they are is probably just lying through their teeth. You're always dealing with something. And the longer the season goes on, probably the worse it really gets, you know, uh, whatever issue you're dealing with. So you're always managing something, pain, an issue, an injury. Um, you're, you're, you're in management mode to try to get yourself out onto the field on Sundays to play at the highest level possible in spite of whatever it is that you're dealing with. So adding a 17th game, obviously, uh, is going to um, challenge that reality even more. All right, so, um, so they're, they're, and you have to be realistic about that. You have to understand that. So as a league, if I was in charge, I'm not, but if I was, if I'm adding a 17th game, then I'm going to take a hard look at increasing the size of the roster, increasing the size of the game roster. Uh, right now, it's uh, you know 46 or 47 if you dress eight uh, linemen, um, uh, eight offensive linemen. I, I, I think that you should, you know, to me, uh, I think you ought to be able to uh, expand the regular season roster from 53 to let's say 55, maybe even 56. And I think the game day rosters, why not just 53 players? I don't understand why if you have, now not all your players are gonna be healthy, that's why they have this rule in the first place. Uh, a lot of times of your 53 players, you might have 41 that are like legit healthy, right? Or 43 that are legit healthy. And so they, they do that to try to mitigate when they, when they have that game day roster of 46, that's to mitigate if you're in a situation where you only have 43 really healthy players, uh, but the other team has, let's say, 53 healthy players, the team obviously with 53 healthy players that will now address 46 healthy players has an advantage over the team um, you know, that, that's only really able to dress 43 healthy players. So it mitigates that so that you don't have an over, like you don't have an incredible amount more of, of healthy players than, than the opposing team. But the way I see it, I think that's I understand that that train of thought, but I'd rather have I'd rather be able teams be able to go into a, a, a game where they have, you know, uh, just just let them dress out fifty three players and, you know, be able to have coverage in case somebody goes down. You know, how many times you know, I mean, there are times during the course of a game where a tight end has to line up at tackle. Um, because your tackles went down. <laughs> Look at last year with the Raiders. The, in the first eight plays of the season opener, they lost two of their tackles. Remember that? Trent Brown went down after three plays. Sam Young, uh, like eight plays later, goes down, his backup. And all of a sudden, Denzel Good, who hadn't taken any snaps at tackle during training camp, had to go play right tackle. Why? Because Brandon Parker, um, the other tackle, didn't dress out. He was part of uh, the the inactives, uh, not because he was hurt, not because of of you know of anything else other than that's the rule. Wouldn't you have rather had um, now? Obviously, Brandon Parker, uh, he's had his issues, but wouldn't you wouldn't you rather have if you're an NFL team, all available players on your roster available to you on game day? 
Uh, I think you would. Anyway, so that's that's a rule. I think that they should expand the rosters. I think they should expand the game day rosters. I think there should be more uh, a provision for on, on you know the injured reserve rules. Remember, in the in a normal year, under the injured reserve rules, uh, you could put as many players on the injured reserve as as need be, uh, but you would only be able to bring back two. You can only designate two players that you can bring back at any point in the season, and even those players had to sit out. I want to say eight weeks, so they were, they had to go on for a minimum of eight weeks uh, before they were brought back. Now, sometimes you know there's injuries that literally take eight weeks to to, to heal, right? Um, and so going on to injury reserve for eight weeks is is justified. Sometimes. Some injuries are only a five-week injury or a four-week injury or a three-week injury. Um, and so those injuries, like let's see, let's say you're in a situation, we'll get back to this in just a little bit, but let's say you're in a situation where it's a three-week injury, all right? Um, you can't play for three games, but chances are you'll be back after four. You know how many of those players stay on the roster and are useless to the team for three weeks, four weeks? Uh, just because you don't want to put them on injury reserve and lose them for eight weeks, it makes no sense. Let be able to use have a injury reserve designation where it's a four week designation, and that you're able to replace the injured player and get something out of somebody, as opposed to having the guy on, on the roster that's just literally not going to be able to play for the next three weeks. That makes no sense to me. We're going to get back into even more of uh, of what I would do uh, under a 17 game schedule with that roster in the huddle. Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila and Vodka. No one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. I hope I was making sense uh, in that last segment about the injury reserve list. Uh, but think of it along the, the, this term. As it is right now in football, in the NFL, uh, there are times where you have to carry injured players that cannot help your team, period, exclamation. They aren't able to play, and sometimes for three, four-week periods, uh, but you keep you have to keep them on the roster because uh, it, it makes more sense to keep them on the roster even though they can't play for another three games uh, because it beats the alternative of putting them on the injured reserve list and then losing them for a minimum of eight weeks. And when you put somebody on injured reserve, always keep in mind you, you can only bring two of those players back at any point during the season. So there are literally times where teams have to make do uh, sometimes with multiple players that cannot play on a weekly basis um, and maybe multiple week basis because of uh, some silly rule. Um, and, and, and here's the thing. I, I get it. Like on a, sometime on a, on a game basis, um, yeah, I understand that. You know, uh, teams have to sometimes play without their best player on a game basis. You see that in basketball, you know, where uh, Kawhi Leonard, well, not Kawhi Leonard, he just sits out to rest. Um, it's not because he's hurt, it's because he wants to take a breather. Uh, just kidding, just kidding. But there are games where, let's say, LeBron, right now, uh, like LeBron James um, can't play right now. Um, there's no injury reserve in NBA anymore, so, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter. But the fact is, they're playing without, uh, you know, a, a LeBron James. I get that. Um, you know, you, you understand that. But in the NFL, as opposed to let's say baseball, where in baseball, you know, you could put a guy if if a guy is going to miss multiple games, um, you know, uh, 
then you can put them on injury reserve or, or the disabled list you know, for uh, designated periods of time, a week, you know, or two weeks, uh, they have all these, uh, you know, um, uh, number number uh, distinctions on on how long you could put a guy on the on the uh, disabled list. But the point is, you get to replace that player on the active roster, so that you don't have an injured player sitting there for two weeks, not doing you any good. Okay, in the NFL, you can't do that, and you you you, uh, you uh, it's it, it works against you using the injured reserve list. I think that's silly. I think the NFL should have a two week distinction, or let's say a four week distinction, uh, for players where you put them on the injured reserve list. They miss two weeks, but they're able to come off in two weeks. Uh, and and come help you out, but in the meantime, you're able to bring up a player, let's say from the practice squad, to replace that player for however long they're out. Right now, you can't do that. Um, uh, right now, uh, the, the rules, you know. Well, last year they changed it for COVID, uh, and I think they should keep it the way that, the way it was last year, uh, which gave teams and coaches way more flexibility to utilize the injured reserve list and and, and manage it a little bit better. But and but if you're going to go to 17 games, to me, there's no way you could go back to that old way of doing things because I just don't think it, it makes sense. It doesn't make sense on a couple of different levels. One, there's weeks and maybe even months, a month that can go by where you're not able to play so and so because he's hurt, but he has to stay on your roster because because you don't want to lose him for eight weeks rather than four. It just doesn't make any sense. But on top of that, you don't have the ability to bring somebody up and replace them. At the very least, <laughs> let somebody come up and take that player's uh, roster spot for the next four weeks um, so that you're not shorthanded uh, all the time. You're not playing at a disadvantage all the time. It doesn't make any sense. When somebody goes on the disabled list in baseball, somebody from the minor leagues comes up and replaces them so that typically uh, for extended periods, you're always going to have 25 players to, bl- to play uh, on a nightly basis, sort of tomorrow's starting pitch but you get my you get my 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 my, my idea there's enough players uh, to to fill all the various roles on a night by night basis that isn't the case in the NFL and it's just silly so hopefully with a 17 game schedule uh, they're going to make some some tweaks to the roster to the game day roster uh, to the flexibility of the injured reserve list uh, to make sure that week in and week out you're getting the most healthy players out there uh, so that a you're not forcing an injured player to go out there and play. B you're not uh, short-handed majorly because guys aren't just aren't available to you uh, on, uh, that week or the next week or the week after because they have a three or four week injury uh, and you can't afford to put them on injured reserve and, and, and lose them for eight weeks. It just doesn't make any sense. Anyway, um, lots to consider, uh, but I do think that it's a good move to move to 17 games. I think it's gonna. I, I think fans are gonna love it. Obviously. Uh, more games, more real games, uh, uh, the better. Uh, and I think in the long run, this is going to help players because they're going to get more money uh, out of it. It's not going to show up uh, in the short term, uh, as we explained. Some of these players that signed their contract post-2020, summer of 2020, uh, have to spread that contract out now by 17 games. But rest assured, uh, when things start getting back to normal, agents are going to say, uh, yeah, we want a contract that reflects 17 games not 16 games. So whatever we would have gotten in a 16-game season, add another million dollars to that because uh, that will cover that 17th game or 500,000 or 400,000 or whatever that caliber player 
um, you know, whatever he's scheduled to make on a weekly basis per week, um, tack on a 17th a week for that. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that all goes. I want to say thank you to all the listeners uh, on a Monday. Uh, I know that free agency is, uh, is kind of winding down, but it's an important time of year because uh, it's deep into the draft uh, process. A lot of pro days going on. Uh, Miami's pro day with Jalen Phillips uh, and, and Gregory Rousseau. Uh, interested to see what all the numbers are. Uh, from that, I know the Raiders were at the BYU uh, Pro Day uh, last week, so uh, I know they didn't have their eye on the quarterback, but there's some other good players on that BYU team uh, from last year. Uh, but thanks to all the callers, thanks to the listeners, you're why we do this. Thanks to Devon Cotton, our great producer uh, back at home base, making us sound good. We'll be back at it tomorrow, uh, 4 to 6 p.m., uh, and we're going to try to get some, uh, some new Raider players um, you know, for interviews uh, this week and maybe some uh, some some holdovers that are uh, busy at work right now, uh, trying to make sure that year two uh, is better than year one. You're in the huddle, Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador. Talk to you guys tomorrow. <laughs>